Now I'm going to uh, bring a reading from 2 Kings chapter 4 and verse 38. 2 Kings chapter 4 and verse 38 following. When Elisha returned to Gilgal, there was a famine in the land. As the sons of the prophets were sitting before him, he said to his servant, Put on the large pot and boil stew for the sons of the prophets. Then one went out into the field to gather herbs and found a wild vine and gathered from it, his lap full of wild gourds, and came and sliced them into the pot of stew, for they did not know what they were. So they poured it out for the men to eat. And as they were eating of the stew, they cried out and said, O man of God, there is death in the pot. And they were unable to eat. But he said, Now bring meal. He threw it into the pot and said, Pour it out for the people that they may eat. Then there was no harm in the pot. Let's welcome Artie as he comes this evening. Is there death in the pot? In a few minutes, you'll know what I mean by that question. Brief word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we turn to you. I ask you now for the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus by your spirit to rest upon every mind in this place in order that their perception of what I say will be heard, received, applied as you intend. Cleanse my tongue that I will be your transparent instrument to say what needs to be said, nothing that doesn't need to be said. I pray that this will be clear, but life-changing. And for someone, for all I know, that this message comes in the nick of time. And may this word bring great honor and glory to your name. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Is there death in the pot? Uh, this short account that Bruce just read contains one of Elisha's miracles. Uh, there's a famine in the region, and a group of prophets have met to be instructed by Elisha, their mentor, and he is responsible for feeding them. And this, in its sense, uh, by itself, shows that uh, Elisha was living by faith. Already a famine in the land, and he's got to feed uh, what we would assume is a hundred prophets, because in previous reference to these prophets, there are a hundred. But one of the prophets, uh, meaning to be helpful, gathered some herbs uh, and gourds and had them cut up and put into the stew that Elisha ordered to be prepared. As soon as these prophets began testing it, they exclaimed, There's death in the pot. Elisha does not panic, but has flour put into the pot, and they all ate it without any harm. A sudden miracle. It's wonderful when a bad situation can turn to good as quickly as this. And what we're going to look at this evening are examples of there being death in the pot. They don't always turn out this well. And I hope if you're in a situation 
and you are experiencing what you will understand in a few moments as being death in the pot. Let's hope that something can happen even in this time that can change everything around. Uh, when we think of the famine, I, I'm reminded of Amos's warning of famine of the hearing of the word of the Lord. Uh, that wasn't the case here. But then when I think of famine, let's not forget a famine of food and of rain in certain parts of the world, uh, Ethiopia, in the Sudan, Yemen, and there are places where they are in desperate situation. I don't know how often we bother to pray for people like that, but if you were there, you'd love to think that you were being prayed for. In any case, there was not a famine of the word of the Lord because they had Elisha, and they were hearing from God. But there was this famine in the area of Gilgal, not of hearing the word because, as I said, they had Elisha. It's wonderful when there is a hearing of the word of the Lord, we must not take this for granted. All the time I'm asked, they will write me from some part of the world and say, can you recommend a church where we live? And it's the most delicate thing. And often I have no idea. Or even if I know the area, I don't know of a church that I, I would recommend. That is not the case here. And it's wonderful that we have a church here. This is a word and spirit church. There are not many of those in the world. I can tell you, I travel the world in my old age. And most churches are one or the other. You have so much to be thankful for. Um, the word where the gospel is preached but it opened us to the Holy Spirit. And we must pray for more, that God will spread the word and the numbers of believers will increase. Gilgal was a special spot for Elisha. Uh, I guess we all have special spots uh, where you go and you expect God to show up. Uh, I know of places where we go once in a while, uh, Louise and I will travel to Enfield, Connecticut. I don't know that we feel the presence of God there when we go, but we recall when God worked powerfully years ago. Uh, for the last 15 years, just about every year, uh, Lyndon Bowring, uh, Alan Bell and I go to Israel. And we have our favorite locations and spots. And, and there, there's one area in particular that Lyndon and Alan uh, feel that God always meets with them in those spots. Well, what we have here in Gilgal was a school of the prophets. Uh, and I couldn't help but think, that's I-B-I-O-L, isn't it? Isn't that what you are? Excuse me, sir, I wasn't asking for a show of hands. We will call on you when you are needed. What are we going to do with Gabriel? You'll be fine. Gabriel is the principal. Good man. Well, what is death in the pot? It is a bit of poison that would kill if swallowed. 
uh, Matthew Henry, the famous commentator, <laughs> made the observation, these prophets knew their Bibles, but not their herbals. I thought that was kind of funny, too. Uh, their taste buds were good. Otherwise, they would have died from the stew. Well, now, what is important about this passage? Why would I not just read it and go on to the next? Oh, this is a very important passage. Uh, it shows that there are ideas in the world, but also in the church. Ideas uh, that are full of poison, poisonous ideas that look harmless, even resemble the truth. But if it gets into the church, it is a matter of time that that church is finished. This also shows the importance of having a sharp, instant discernment. Uh, uh, the prophet's taste buds uh, were in good working order. And I would think that the spiritual equivalent would uh, be that uh, you have a theological taste. And I don't know whether that concept has ever gripped you. Uh, it grips me. And uh, most of my preaching ministry, uh, this has been very, very important to me. And that's the thing, I forgive me, I'll say it again, that I love about Kensington Temple. This is a word and spirit church. And when you are word and spirit, you develop a theological taste. When you hear something, uh, you can taste, so to speak, that something isn't right here. Uh, you will recall some years ago, uh, there was uh, reports of a revival in Lakeland, Florida. Uh, <laughs> they were saying that it was last day ministries. They actually were the, the, the revival before the end, which, by the way, I happen to hold to that belief, and I'm expecting it. And they were saying, well, this is it. It's in Lakeland. Well, I thought, well, they could be right. They could be right. And uh, I got letters from England, uh, mostly, uh, because it was being shown on God TV. And uh, so I started watching it. And the amazing thing was, it was going all over the world, the TV. Never in my lifetime have I seen such an opportunity to reach the world with the gospel. And as I listened, I thought, this is, this is amazing, except that I thought, I don't like the taste. In fact, I don't like the smell. If something isn't right, it's just not right. And uh, I can tell you that uh, people were going from England, plane loads. I think most of the people in the audience in Lakeland during that time, they were Brits because of God TV. And uh, but I have to say this, and I don't mean to be unfair, but you know when I talk about word churches and spirit churches, and I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure that the people who came to this area in Lakeland were from spirit churches. I, I maybe shouldn't say that, 
but that's my hunch. At least, let me say this, the people that were backing this meeting, they were what I would call spirit people. I won't say more, uh, but 13 of the top charismatic leaders uh, had set a time that they were going to go to Lakeland and all lay hands on this evangelist. I was invited to go. I was invited to go. I said, I won't go because it's not of God. Ooh, R.T., don't say it's not of God. I said, it's not. Well, you can have your doubts. You can say maybe it's not. I said, it's not. Well, these 13 household names in the charismatic movement, you know, laid hands. If you, the people that prophesied, I dare say they wouldn't want that to be, that recording to be played. They were prophesying that this was going to be Elijah and Elisha combined. It was going to be the greatest man of God ever, the way they were talking. Well, people said, how do you know it's not of God? I said, well, first of all, I would have thought if this is last day ministries and you're reaching the whole world for people that have never heard anything about Christianity, seems reasonable that one of them would preach the gospel. Or the evangelist would, you know, every night or two preach the gospel. I listened to him night after night after night. Never. It was all word of knowledge. He'd call out people that had just, and, and by the way, I suspect the word of knowledge was accurate. After all, the gifts and calling of God are irrevocable. And uh, uh, I think some people might have been healed. That would not surprise me. But never was the gospel preached, not even once. And uh, another thing I said, there's no uh, conviction of sin, no sense of sin. You see, the gospel in power will convict people of their sins. Uh, no hint of that. And then people that claimed to have got saved, uh, when they would baptize them, they would baptize this evangelist in the name of the Father and the Son. Bam! People thought it was wonderful. They didn't bother to say Holy Spirit. They trivialized the Holy Spirit, called him Bam. It was so off the wall. There was no gospel, and people were mad about it. And I stood alone. Well, it turns out about a month later, this revival, if that's what you would call it, suddenly shut down, stopped. Turned out that the evangelist was living with his secretary and sleeping with her in a little trailer just behind the auditorium where all this was happening. When, the, when he got caught and they closed down the revival, then they come to me and they say, R.T., you were right. I said, what's the matter with you? Why did it take the immorality? Couldn't you tell? Never once did he preach the gospel. But you see, what worries me, that the people that went and laid hands on him and that were so attracted, I'm not sure they know the gospel. That's the awkward thing. You're talking to people when you say he doesn't preach the gospel. I don't know that they knew themselves what the gospel was. Here's my point. Death in the pot. Something's not right. And you can build a crowd, build a crowd like this 
and they will come to see a show. And that's about what it was. Well, it closed down and it's over. And uh, it wasn't last day ministries at all. It just shows also this text how good people like these prophets can do something innocent but it be dangerous if not detected in time. You see, one of Elisha's prophets cut up a vine and a gourd and not knowing what it was. But here's the thing. Uh, sometimes an innocent thing seems so harmless. I've used the illustration. Uh, a jumbo jet takes off from John F. Kennedy Airport in New York, headed for London. And the navigator notices that they're off course just a minute degree. Uh, no problem, no problem going the same direction. But if that isn't corrected early, seven hours later, the same jumbo jet will be flying over Spain than Heathrow. The little things, it's a matter of having an awareness. Uh, Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verse 15. The little foxes spoil the vines. Uh, we should watch what we eat, watch what we drink, be careful what we watch on television, guard your entertainment, the music you listen to, listen to the words. And that's not only in the secular world, but so much of what is being composed and sung in the church. So often, it is so shallow, one inch deep, and often no gospel at all. But most people, oh, I like the tune, and oh, such a good voice. Death in the pot. And it shows how God also may chose a negative situation, but deal with it positively. And that's when Elisha, instead of panicking, he took some flour, Sprinkled it into the pot, all was well. Now, if only all situations could end like that. Death in the pot being healed just in a second. But we have, uh, I'm going to look at it with you now, some examples of death in the pot uh, in Scripture. So that you can see what I mean by this. Uh, the death in the pot poison, you see, it gets into the body by food. And what was supposed to taste good tastes bad. And what was supposed to be nourishing to the body is unhealthy. What was supposed to be good for believers is bad for you. And preaching that is laced with false doctrine, fellowship that is laced with dissenters and complainers. And when that happens, the Holy Spirit is grieved, grieved, and there will be no church unity. Well, let me give you some examples of death in the pot. Um, one is an example, the lack of strong leadership, or another way to put it is when you have a disloyal number two man. Now, I can tell you that is not a problem here, or I wouldn't say this. There's no problem here like that. But there are in many churches 
There are many churches where the number two man uh, leads the pastor or the vicar to a nervous breakdown over disloyalty. I know what it is in a previous church to have a disloyal number two man. It was horrible. Well, we have that in Exodus chapter 32. I'll read it to you. It's the case. Moses was the number one man. Aaron was the number two. And so, Moses now had gone up to the mountain. But he stayed there longer than anybody thought he would. And so, so long in coming down, they gathered around Aaron, the number two man, and said, come, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses, who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. And um, had Aaron been loyal, he would have taken charge and says, you're out of order. We're not going to do anything like this. Sadly, Aaron answered them, take off the gold earrings that your wives, sons, and daughters are wearing and bring them to me. And so all the people took off the earrings and brought them to Aaron. He took what they handed him and made it into an idol cast into the shape of a calf, fashioning it with a tool. And they said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you out of Egypt. And Aaron just goes along with it. No leadership. None. Disloyal to Moses. But they thought, we don't know how long he's going to be. Well, it's, it's a very sad moment. The Lord said to Moses, go down because your people whom you brought up have become corrupt. And God dealt with them. And guess what was the reason that God had mercy on them? The Lord listened to Moses. And Moses prayed for them. He prayed for them. He could have said, God, kill them. Uh, I know there's a place, uh, not this passage, where God came to Moses and said, Moses, you know the people following you, they are a sorry lot. You know what, Moses? I'm going to get rid of them all, and you and I will start all over again with a new nation. There have been times in my ministry, if God had said that to me, I said, oh, praise the Lord. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. Kill them. Not Moses. He interceded for them. He interceded for them. There is another example of death in the pot. It's the example of Achan. In the book of Joshua, after the children of Israel had a spectacular victory and going into Jericho and the walls come down, now they've got to go to the next battle. It was a place called Ai. Ai, that's how it's spelled. We pronounce it I or Ai. Well, because of the victory at Jericho, they thought this would be a piece of cake. And it turns out they go into Ai and they are humiliatingly defeated. And Joshua couldn't understand it. What has gone on? How could this happen? Well, it turned out that God stepped in and through the process they would do in those days, they narrowed it down to the tribe of which Achan was a member. And what had happened was that when they went into Jericho, 
Achan took some of the valuable possessions and kept them for himself, some of the devoted things, and kept them for himself, went right against what God told them to do. And then they found out it was Achan, death in the pot. It was not a happy situation, and it did not end well. There is an example in the fifth chapter of Acts when a man and wife, Ananias and Sapphira, a part of the church, and they were enjoying the fellowship. But then God came in such power that for reasons we don't entirely understand, everybody became detached from their earthly possessions. They just didn't care about them. I don't think that happens every day, but it happened then. And they all voluntarily come, they, they sold their properties, took the money, and laid them at the apostles' feet. Well, Ananias and Sapphira wanted to be very in. And so they sold a property, but they kept back part of the money. And they brought to the apostles' feet what they decided they would give. Had it not been a revival situation, they would have got away with that. But you see, when the Holy Spirit is present in great power, I think it's one of the meanings of the phrase law of the Spirit. Law of the Spirit. When God is present in power, there is a consensus. And this is what everybody was feeling. But Ananias and Sapphira, they just wanted to be in, but they didn't want to give up anything. They didn't have to sell their property. They chose to. But once they did it, they only gave part of it. And Peter said, you have lied to the Holy Spirit. Both of them were struck dead. You know, we talk about wanting a revival. I pray for it all my life, all my life. I have thought that eventually I would see true revival. So far, no. A little bit of a touch of the Spirit here and there, but nothing like what I wanted. But then when I look at the situation, what it's like when God is present in power, I ask the question, do we want revival? Uh, you see, the equivalent of death in the pot, it's when a church deviates from solid teaching. Hosea chapter 4, verse 6. My people are destroyed from lack of knowledge. Let me ask you, Kensington Temple people, how well do you know your Bibles? How much do you read your Bibles? Do you understand what the Bible teaches? I would hate to think that anybody here that sits under this kind of ministry would be among those tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. Or if you have such a theological taste, you can say, this isn't right. But in a revival situation, you don't get away with doing things like Ananias and Sapphira did. As a matter of fact, at the church in Corinth, Paul warned them that they had abused the Lord's Supper. And what had happened was that uh, in those days they met in a wealthy person's home 
And many of the Christians were poor people. And they would meet in an evening and take the Lord's Supper. But the poor people had to work all day, cleaning toilets or sweeping floors or the equivalent of that. And when they would get to the home where all the Christians gathered, they went ahead and did the Lord's Supper. And the poor people, they come and it's too late for them. If it had not been a revival situation, they would have got away with that. Death in the pot. I'm saying that we better be careful. We know what we're asking for if you really want revival. Because in a revival situation, the standards change. So in a church, when there's deviation from solid teaching or where there is grumbling or a rival spirit, jealousy, refusing to be involved. Or could it be that in your home there's death in the pot? In your marriage there's unfaithfulness, holding grudges, keeping a record of wrongs, lack of prayer life, reading your Bible, carelessness with money. And in your marriage, the constant pointing of the finger, keeping a record of wrongs. Do you know, when there's death in the pot, and I would just say this, I'm going to say something that will surprise nearly all of you. I think it will. There was a time, it was in, 1997, 1998, when Louise and I had a difficult time in our marriage. It was while we were at Westminster Chapel. Nobody knew it. But I told my friend Lyndon, he said, you need to see Alan Bell. That's the man I referred to a while ago. We go to Israel every year together. And Louise and I got help. We needed it. There comes a time when you need to share with somebody that you can trust. And I would say if there's death in the pot, your marriage, get help. It'd be the equivalent of sprinkling flour into the stew and everything can be healed. And I want you to know that next, let's see, what's the day? The 11th? 11th? On the 28th of June, Louise and I will have been married... 59 years. Here's the thing. This verse in Isaiah 58, when the Jews, the Israelites, you know, they thought that if they fasted and prayed, that that's all they need to do. And there are people that if they've got a problem, they just fast and pray. Nothing wrong with that. But sometimes that's not the kind of fast that will work. And so Isaiah the prophet said, uh, look here, there's another kind of fast you need. Do away with the yoke of oppression. Do away with the pointing finger and malicious talk. Had you ever thought of the pointing finger being something that would be death in the pot. 
And had you ever thought that doing away with the pointing finger could heal a situation, perhaps at work, perhaps in your marriage, perhaps in the church, or whatever relationship? Stop it. Pointing the finger. Well, death in the pot. There, for emphasis. <laughs> Let me bring this to a close. It's usually acknowledged that the three main enemies are money, sex, power. Death in the pot, mishandling of money, lack of honesty and integrity. I don't know that it's true over here, but in America, many, many of the ministries, the downfall, the downfall is misuse of funds. Be careful. And by the way, are you giving God what is His? The tithe is the Lord's. Live on the 90%. If you are not tithing, I realize you're not under the law, and it's not going to keep you out of heaven, but it is a form of death in the pot. Money, sex, power. Let's talk about sex for a minute. I thought one of the most interesting comments made by, is it Derek Turek? That was his name? Frank, uh, Frank Turek. Uh, a week ago, I came to hear him. Uh, he said, the elephant in the room when it comes to apologetics and Christianity and why people don't want to be Christians he said, the elephant in the room. Now, you know what it, that phrase means. It's what everybody notices it, but they don't talk about it. The elephant in the room, sex. This is why people ran 100 miles an hour to the theory of evolution when it first came out. They loved it because if evolution is true, that let them off the hook. There's no God. There's no morals that you have to live by. They loved it. In fact, one of the top uh, philosophers said that. He said, this is why the Brits loved the theory of evolution. Or when you talk about all the things that we're facing today, and I remember when uh, uh, we were in uh, Moscow years ago, uh, in the days of the Soviet Union, I witnessed to the lady who... Uh, uh, was the guide at the museum in Leningrad. That was, it was not Moscow, it was Leningrad. And I got to know her a little bit. I, I presented the gospel to her, and she was tearful, and she was almost, I thought, oh, this is wonderful. I'm getting ready to lead somebody to Jesus in the Soviet Union. But she came up to a point, and it turned out that she was living with her boyfriend. And I hadn't said a thing about that. Didn't even hint at it. But you see, when the Holy Spirit was present, she knew it was wrong, and she wouldn't pray. Could it be that there's someone here? You're having an affair right now. Death in the pot. Could it be your marriage, and you are addicted to pornography? Death in the pot. One last point, money, sex, power. Power relates to a person's ego. We want power. And the reason we don't forgive and the reason we point the finger is because uh, our pride. 
You know, your temper will get you into trouble, but it's your pride that keeps you in trouble. You don't want to admit that you blew it or you made a mistake. And could it be that there's someone here? Your problem, you're still holding a grudge. You cannot forgive that person. You can't bring yourself to do it. And if we heard your story, all of us would understand. We could understand your hurt. I know what it is. If I told you my story, I could get your sympathy. But the truth is, total forgiveness is an act of the will. Don't wait for God to knock you down. You make a decision. You do it because it's right. Just as Moses prayed for Aaron and the Israelites, so you pray for your enemy. You bless them. And you see, if you really want more of God, that's the motivation. That's what got me, I can tell you now, because I want more anointing. And if I find a way to get more anointing, I'll, go, I'll do it. I'm not even sure it's a spiritual request. You'd probably say, oh, isn't that spiritual? I'm not sure. I just want it more than I want anything in the world. And so it was easy to forgive because I knew it was the quickest route to more power in my preaching. The question is, do we want God to send judgment? He did with Achan. He did with Ananias and Sapphira. Or would you like God to sprinkle flour into the pot? And you know how it's done? The flour, you see, is what makes bread. Jesus is the bread of life. Jesus is the answer. And the greatest death in the pot is you're not ready to die. If you were to die right now, it would be horrible. It would be terrible. You'd go to hell if you died right now. Death in the pot. And so this message that I've preached, it applies to Christians, some of them, maybe all, I don't know. It applies to those who may not be saved. Let's bow our heads together. Heavenly Father, I ask you to apply this word by your spirit in Jesus' name. Now look at me. If you're not ready to die, that means that if you were to die right now, you wouldn't go to heaven. You would not. But you don't get to heaven because you're a nice person. I'm sure you're a nice person. That won't save you. If you're not sure... I want you to pray this prayer wherever you are. You don't need to pray it out loud. Just say this. Lord Jesus, I need you. Tell him, I want you. I'm sorry for my sins. Wash my sins away by your blood. I welcome your Holy Spirit into my heart. As best as I know how, I give you my life. In Jesus' name. Now, I have no way of knowing if you prayed that prayer. But I would ask you this. If you prayed it, are you ashamed that you prayed it? Are you? Jesus said, if you're ashamed of me, I'll be ashamed of you. Jesus said, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father. If you prayed that prayer 30 seconds ago, 
I'm going to ask you right now, stand up. You say, in front of all these people, yes. If you prayed it, stand up right now. That'll be your way of confessing. Not good. good. All right. Anyone else? There's more down here. Good. Anyone else? Okay, you can be seated. You that stood should have a word with somebody on the staff before you go home. They can help you. Give you a Bible if you don't have one, but you did the right thing. One last point. We're going into ministry time now. If there's death in the pot, along the lines that I have preached, the flour, the flour can be sprinkled into the pot and you can go home healed tonight.